have laid down their lives so that we can live in freedom. Mm-hmm. And once we once we truly understand that, that um, many people have done a whole lot throughout history so that we can we can live the lives we live today. Uh, that that prompts us to live um, differently. It prompts us to live with gratefulness. It prompts us to live with oh, a kind of a, a renewed sense of purpose. Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers, and welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 18 of season five. I didn't think we were going to have an episode 18 because I thought we were going to release this episode last week, but I had a bunch of technical difficulties, which um, some of you may know about if you follow me on Instagram or you are in the Historical Fiction Unpacked podcast group on Facebook, then I shared a little bit of what was going on that I lost some of the recording from these guests. Um, And I had to do, uh, I had to scramble and record with them again. And they were so gracious about coming back on with me and finishing the recording. So enough about that. Let me tell you that today's guests are Marcus Brotherton and Tosca Lee. And they wrote a book together called The Long March Home. It released May 2nd. And we are talking all about that book. It features the Bataan Death March, which was happening during World War II, um, began right after Pearl Harbor was bombed. But we don't know much about it because it hasn't been covered as much as other parts of World War II. There are so many facets and so many different um, things going on during World War II. And this is another one of them that is um, neglected. So I'm excited to share this conversation with you. It was wonderful to talk to Marcus and Tosca. And if you notice that, um, you know, in the beginning, it seems a little different than the end, almost like we recorded on two different days, that's because we did. But it was wonderful to talk with them both times. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Tosca Lee and Marcus Brotherton. Marcus and Tosca, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having us. Great to be here. Yeah. So the two of you wrote a historical novel together, The Long March Home, released May 2nd. Can you tell me about this book? Yeah. um, So this is the story of three best friends from Mobile, Alabama. The main character's name is Jimmy Propfield. His two best friends are Hank and Jimmy, and their fourth best friend is, is, sorry, is Hank and Billy, and their fourth best friend is Billy's sister, Claire. And um, it's the story of their uh, growing up and enlisting in the army in 1941. uh, And they are stationed in the Philippines, and that's where they are when the events of Pearl Harbor happen, which plunges the Philippines immediately into war. And so these three best friends are um, fighting in the Philippines. They end up fighting on the Bataan Peninsula. And during the surrender of April 1942, they end up uh, as prisoners of war and and become part of the infamous uh, Bataan Death March, where they are marched with the Allied prisoners over mm-hmm. 60 miles to a prisoner of war camp. And and all that, that happened before seems like a precursor to what is now their their uh, their bid to survive and try to survive war as POWs. And it's the memories of of what has 
happened with them growing up that strengthened their friendships and brought them together that are going to sustain them in the months and years to come. Right. Um, Marcus, do you have anything to add? That's great. It's a story of friendship. It's a story of love. It's a story of camaraderie. Uh, It's a story of three people in desperate times trying to make the right choices, which is not always easy. Right. Yeah, I have been reading this novel and it's, I'm so intrigued. I'm only, you know, a few chapters in, but I just, I wish I could read faster. Because, mm-hmm. um, and I, I'm just wondering two things about this. First, what inspired you to write the story? And how did you end up writing it together? Hmm. So about um, 12 years ago now, <clears throat> I was reading an oral history of the Bataan Death March and I do a lot of nonfiction as well, and so I, I love a good sort of obscure text. And that was my introduction to the subject. I was uh, fascinated and horrified all at the same time to realize this event in history had had actually happened. And so um, mm-hmm. I, I love oral history, although the one uh, sort of limitation of oral history is that it doesn't uh, immerse a reader in the subject matter like a good novel would. And so I, I began back then making plans to do a novel. Uh, it was a back burner project. I worked on on and off on it for about seven years and had a working manuscript. And it was good. I'd sent it out to some early readers. <clears throat> it was good, but it wasn't great. And I wanted it to be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt that uh, the, the troops who were there really deserved this. So mm-hmm. Tosca and I had known each other for a number of years by then. So I called her up and we started talking about this and uh, you know, sometimes a writer gets sort of too close to the canvas, and I think that's how I was feeling about this book. And so Tosca came along and, and sorted it out and uh, helped take it over the finish line. Wow, that's great. Mm-hmm. Tosca, what was your perspective um, when he approached you? Yeah, I, I know Marcus. I, I've known him for his fiction, and I've known him for his World War II biographies and for his his work um, with celebrities and when he called me up, he said, I've got this, um, you know, project about the Bataan Death March. And I said, the Waha Wa, because I was not familiar with this chapter in history. I mean, most right. of what I knew about World War II took place in, the, the, in Europe. And uh, so for me, it was a, well, for, you know, first of all, it sounded like a really important story and it is. And so I'm so happy and honored that he asked me to join the project because Mm -hmm. um, it is an honor to shine a light on these heroes that uh, so many people don't know about. Um, But beyond that, it was, it was a fascinating and horrific um, research process and education into what transpired uh, in the Pacific and specifically in the Philippines. Right. So what do you want to be sure my listeners understand about this part of history? Because I, I did not know much about, I haven't known much about the um, Pacific War Theater during mm-hmm. World War II and um, about the Bataan Death March. I really had not heard about that before. Mm-hmm. Marcus, do you want to? <laughs> I think what's important here is when we, when we study uh, World War II history and when we get sort of inspired by it, <clears throat> it's this concept that people, people have laid down their lives so that we can live in freedom. Mm-hmm. And once we, once we truly understand that, that um, many people have done a whole lot um, to, to throughout history so that we can, we can live the lives we live today. 
that that prompts us to live um, differently. It prompts us to live with gratefulness. It prompts us to live with oh, a kind of a, a renewed sense of purpose. And so it was it was a hard time in history, and yet it was a time that um, that opened up the world afterward. And and we live in that in that spacious place because of what people did. Yeah, for sure. So, what was it like to write this book together? How, like, I mean, you mentioned Marcus that this idea came to you twelve years ago. Um, so it's taken twelve years, obviously, to come to fruition. <laughs> but how did it work logistically once you started working together? Um, did you both do research? Did you both draft, or did it? Did you just work with what Marcus already had? You know, Marcus is a, a very generous writer, and and he's. He's uh, accustomed to collaborations, and so he, mm-hmm. he doesn't hold on to things with a tight fist. And and I really love and appreciate that about this partnership. So when he contacted me and I, I said, yeah, let's do it, um, he started sending me stuff. And I began researching, learning, and began going through his material as well. And um, and there was room for me to to go in and add things. And um, one of the things I really wanted to, to focus on was the backstory of these friends and what is it that forged these bonds of brotherhood between these friends that was going to sustain them through these horrific years mm-hmm. and terrible experiences. And what was it about uh, Jimmy's young love with Billy's sister, Claire, that helps him uh, basically stay alive. So um you know, Marcus was very generous in saying, you know, dive in there. And somewhere in between there, I was working on the last couple books of a contract and then which were a pandemic duology of all things. And then an actual pandemic hit and oh my goodness. the world shut down and my creativity kind of shut down with it. And so Marcus probably wondered if I was still around for a while because I went really quiet for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when the world started opening back up again, my creativity kind of did too. And yeah. and uh, we got to a place where we were ready to to send it out and um, a publisher was ready to pick it up. So we were very fortunate. Wow, that's awesome. So, Marcus, was your draft, did it not go as deep into the past of the, the three friends? Was... Um, yeah, that's correct. It's <clears throat> I actually had started the book uh, on the march itself, and okay. uh, uh, Tosca came along and said, "You know, we, we really need to know these characters beforehand." So, um, and and I agreed with that. One 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 of the difficult things was the the story of the march itself is a is a pretty gritty story, mm-hmm. and yet I wanted to, uh, as we discussed this, we both wanted to kind of lift the story out of the grit, and and how do you provide kind of this. Um, sweet and and deep love story, <clears throat> sort of between the grid. And Tosco was able to come along and 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 create a, a really great um, home front story that that paralleled what was happening on the war front. wasn't easy to do. Uh, after Tosco worked on it for a couple of years, um, we had a good wor- uh, working draft that had sort of both our voices in it. Mm-hmm. And then we took that draft together and each went over it several times um, toward the end just to kind of smooth it all into one voice. And that was that was the kind of the genuine writing partnership part of it. I mean, it, you know, it all was, but at the end it really felt like we were on the phone together a lot and sort of saying, okay, what works, what doesn't, what are your non-negotiables? 
Uh, Tosk mm-hmm. as well, very uh, very easy to work with, very generous writer as well. And so uh, that was just a it was, it was like I would call that part fun. It was it was really uh, a true partnership there. That's great. You you both are being so kind to each other <laughs> as you're talking it about was this. Fun. You know, it's it's great when it works out like that. And you know, here's here's something interesting and about this partnership is I think I think Marcus, our very first actual Zoom was with the publisher when we had sold the book and we had a meeting and we climb on Zoom because most of the time, you know, I'm either emailing Marcus or we're chatting on the phone. So I hadn't really seen his face move you know, before. <laughs> and we only met for the very first person at very first time in person last October when oh, wow. we had meetings. And so that was a kind of surreal moment to finally meet in person. Yeah. It's such a, an unusual age we live in that you can know someone and yet never have met them in person. Yeah. Yeah. So were there, did you have anything that you disagreed about on on the book collaboration or um, how did you work that out? Hmm. Not much. I wouldn't say. Yeah. Yeah, We, I think we both um, we're both used to sort of casting vision um, Mm -hmm. along with our recommendations. Um, Yeah. We, we didn't, I don't think we quarreled. We didn't really squabble at all. We, Occasionally, we would have the, the sort of like non-negotiables mm-hmm. where we both come and say, you know, I really feel strongly about this part here. Mm-hmm. Even our, our non-negotiables, um, you know, a person might say, okay, well, let's just broaden it a little bit or, you know, let's get that one line out of there that's not really working or let's sharpen this. So it was, uh, yeah, it was it was a good working relationship for sure. Oh, there were wonderful. no fisticuffs. Well, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> That's great. And you've both done collaborations before, um, but not together, but not with each other, of course. Tosca, you wrote some books with Ted Decker, correct? Yes, that's true. Yeah. So, And Marcus, you've worked with a lot of people, including Gary Sinise and Louis Giglio. Um, how did this project differ from those co- collaborations? Mm-hmm. When, when I work on collaborations, I'm often working with another person's story. They might be a writer yeah. Uh, but usually they're a speaker kind of first. And so uh, I, I'm working there to translate their spoken message onto the page. Mm-hmm. Um, with Tosca, Tosca is a writer at heart. And, and I knew that and, and really appreciated that about her. I had read a number of Tosca's books beforehand and um, walked into the collaborative relationship with a lot of respect. Uh, Tosca writes uh, very lyrically and often sort of, there's kind of a uh, a layered message which I really like. So um, I, I was al- already familiar with her style and sort of how she did things, which which really helped. Right, Marcus. Say more things like that. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> when I wrote with Ted, we had we had already made a, a book deal. So you know the deal was done with the shake of the hands between the agents, and then we ended up having to start from the ground up together. So that situation was very different than mm. than this one. You know, when I when I turned fifty um, a few years ago now, I I was having sort of a uh, not a midlife crisis, but a, a midlife uh, checking of what was happening, and and one of my um, my decisions was, you know, I really 
only want to work with people I like and get along with, you know, as much as possible. And so that's, that's one thing that I, I sort of go into a project now. It's like, you know, is, is there a chemistry here? Are we going to be able to, uh, to have a good working environment? And that's really important to me now is, is, I, is I kind of do my, my uh, next season of life. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you want to be able to have that. Um, you don't want to spend most of your time with people that grade on you or that are working against you or it's going to be a struggle. The, the project is important. And I think the atmosphere of the project is also important. Sure. Yeah. So I want to know a little bit about each of your careers. Um, you mentioned before we started recording that you're both easygoing and just regular people, but according to your bios online, you do not sound like regular people. So um, you both are New York Times bestselling authors. You've both won major awards. You both have had work option for um, film. Um but let's start with Tosca. You have written 12 novels, I believe. Mm -hmm. Your work has been translated into 17 languages and optioned for TV and film. Have you always loved writing? I mean, um, Marcus mm -hmm. mentioned that you are a writer at heart. Has this been like your lifelong dream? And it's yeah. now. You know, I've always liked stories and I've always written. But when I was younger, uh, even when I was writing and, and winning you know, I used to win contests as a kid writing stories, I used to win young authors contests and things like that and school writing contests. I never really thought of writing as a thing because my, my sole focus was on becoming a classical ballerina. And that was something I wanted mm. since I was very young. And wow. I devoted my teenage years to that. And I, I danced sometimes 40 hours a week in addition to going to school and spent my summers away dancing and, wow. um, it was only after an injury that I came to realize this might not work out and went off to mm. college and kind of took stock during my, my first year during a trip home with my dad and realized that I really wanted to see if I could provide the kind of emotional roller coaster that my favorite books had given me mm. uh, to another reader. And so that's, that was 1989. And that was when I decided I would try to do this um, for the very first time. And I, I wrote my first novel uh, that summer and it was really bad, but that's how it started. <laughs> yeah, that's how it, that's kind of how it always yeah. is, right? First novel. It's pretty bad. But what was that like for you to realize that you were not going to be a ballerina? You know, it was kind of a gradual process because, you know, some injuries take up to a year to heal and um, mm -hmm. it was just kind of a, huh, okay. But I'd, I'd always loved stories and I'd always loved storytelling. I, I loved movies. I, that's what I loved about ballet is in a, a ballet, it tells a story, but it doesn't tell it without words. It tells it with movement. And right. so writing was just another way to tell a, a story. Um, and yeah. I think that's, that's the common theme there. Right. So you were just a lover of stories from the beginning. Yeah, just switching gears kind of. Yeah. Um, so then take us through what happened after you wrote that first bad novel. <laughs> well, I started to write a second one for about nine years that never got finished. And I learned mm. a lot. I finally came up with the idea to write what would become my first published novel, which was Demon, a memoir, which is not a memoir. It's a novel. Mm. And I wrote it very quickly in about six weeks. And I thought oh, that wow. that was meant to be. And what happened is it took six years to sell. 
And, mm. uh, but it did finally sell in a three book deal. And so that started my fiction publishing career and it sold around uh, 2006. So it came out in 2007. So I've been publishing ever since. Wow. That's great. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So tell me about some of your other historical project. I see that you've written ancient historical novels. Yeah. So the, the Long March Home is actually a newer history for me as far as, as what I've been used to, right. which was really intimidating uh, for totally different reasons. Um, I've written about uh, Judas Iscariot, the infamous disciple of Christ, um, the Queen of Sheba which mm-hmm. I, I thought would be a little easier after having done all this research into first century you know, Israel and all this, but the Queen of Sheba lived a thousand years before that. So it really oh. didn't help at all. Oh, wow. <laughs> but um, loved that novel, fell in love with my husband during that novel. And he proposed to me at my first book signing for oh. that book, actually. And that's a uh, great story. Even my wow. thrillers, which I, I do write thrillers, have occasionally a, a historical kind of mythology behind them and historical aspect to them. So there's always a little bit of history. Progeny, for instance, has a, it's about the modern day descendants of Elizabeth Bathroy, the Mm. blood countess as history has dubbed her. So. Wow. (laughs) Well, that's great. Cause that's, um, you know, some of the historical fiction lovers who listen might still enjoy those thrillers because of the history behind them. Yeah. So Marcus, your books have appeared on multiple bestseller lists. You've also had books optioned for film. How did you get into writing? I, I grew up with uh, my, my father was a was a minister, and my my mother was a newspaper journalist. So I kind of grew up with the whole um, thinking big thoughts of God, and and then uh, you know writing about them or having having people write them down. So those two influences were, were really big in my life. Um, I studied both disciplines, uh, theology and journalism, in uh, college and in graduate school. And then uh, I, I began my writing career as a, as a newspaper reporter. Mm. I was uh, five years in a newsroom, and uh, it was I really enjoyed uh, the newspaper. It was, it was kind of a bad time to be in the newspaper industry. It was um, similar to, to music. It was going downhill. Everything was getting digitized. Mm-hmm. So I began to um, <clears throat> look for other ways uh, to, to write, and I had a professor back in uh, college who had uh, gone on to the book world. So I called him up just kind of out of the blue, and uh, we started talking, and he was working for a publishers uh, by then for Random House, and uh, he started sending me some some freelance projects, and one thing led to another, and it all, it all uh, ballooned from there. That's great. Um, so have you written other novels as well as, you know, nonfiction projects? I did. Yeah. I, I wrote a, a novel back in 2014. It was called Fees for Thieves that Tosca actually endorsed. And that's how we initially connected. So, uh, yeah, it, uh, it won the Christie for best debut and oh, yeah, wow. very, very fun project. So. Great. Um, so you mentioned that like your character, Jimmy Propfield, your father was a minister, so was Jimmy modeled after you? <laughs> uh, Jimmy was definitely a pushed character. And I've actually talked to my dad saying, look, you know, dad, uh, I had a great father and uh, yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> and, uh, Jimmy's father is, is pushed for literary devices. Uh, at the same time, I do know what it's like to, to grow up in a church and to feel a certain amount of pressure to, uh, to follow in my father's footsteps. Although that pressure didn't come from him necessarily. It sort of came from, 
I would say, well-meaning people who who just sort of saw me and said, "Hey, you should be a preacher," mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and, and and just having to feel that a bit as I was growing up. Sure. Yeah. So both of you come from Christian backgrounds, and the publisher Ravel is a Christian publishing house. Would you call this book a Christian book? You know, I I would call this um, a historical book. Um, but that said, you know, we're we're writing a, a novel based on history, but it definitely has redemptive themes. It's definitely in, inspirational, and um, and there's there's a whole redemption th- through line through the story, and that's in large part because of of our values and who we are. Um, mm-hmm. So. Uh, it's technically listed as a World War II historical novel, though. Right. Okay. So how did Ravel end up becoming the publisher for this book? You know, that was just a matter of um, ties and contacts. Uh, ages ago, um, Kelsey, the editor who acquired it, had had reached out to me and um and I I had mentioned at the time, you know, working on this project with Marcus and um, and she was very patient to her credit because I added five years to this whole 12 year process. So of, <laughs> of this book. So, you know, when we finally reached out and said, Hey, look, remember that, that book that I mentioned so long ago, uh, do you want to take a look at it? She was, she was excited to do that. And, and that opened the dialogue to talk with Ravel who ended up acquiring the book. Oh, great. And, um, so I'm wondering, can you tell me a little bit about what, e- what each of you are working on next? I'm doing a book, actually. I have a non-disclosure clause in place. Uh, it's with a celebrity, and I unfortunately can't name him at the moment. Okay. <laughs> but uh, fair to say he does a whole lot of good in the world, and, and he's very uh, – what interests me is he's a big supporter of, of the troops and, and military and whatnot. So it'll come uh, out soon. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm excited to hear I don't even More know who it. it is. I, I haven't pressed Marcus though, but I I have no idea who it is either. Mm. And what are you working on next? I, I'm working on a medieval thriller about the European witch hunts. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. great. Um, so I'm curious how you each go about your research process when you're working on a book like this. I start very pedestrian. I, I start reading anything I can get my hands on. I'll, I'll start on Wikipedia. I'll watch documentaries. But as I'm mm. doing that, I'm keeping a list of uh, as many primary resources as I can find whenever possible. Um, the right. farther you go back in history, the the less there are often. But uh, primary resources and also I like to keep a list of people I see mentioned either in documentaries or articles and many times I'll reach out to those those experts and see if they'll be willing to answer some questions. Right. Okay. What about you, Marcus? I'm definitely all about the obscure uh, manuscript, sort of finding the needle in, in a haystack, and and uh, uh, what will it uh, tell me about that I, I haven't already learned or, or whatever. Uh, I, I also, in addition to what Tosk was describing, I also talk to a lot of veterans whenever I can, Mm-hmm. Uh, I was fortunate to uh, interview veterans for about uh, eight to 10 years, almost solid. And I still do. Uh, in fact, the last two veterans I've talked with have been 101 and 103. Wow. And, so, uh, and, and they're both really sharp. So it's it was an amazing opportunity both times. Yeah, that's amazing. 
So this is a question I ask all my guests. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? Hmm. Marcus, you answer while I'm thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Those who don't, uh, those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it, right? Right. That's the kind of the classic line. Yeah. Marcus. (laughs) (laughs) History stands alone. I mean, it's, it's good just to study history uh, for the sake of it being history. And, uh, and, and, and to honor the time period in terms of, you know, what, what, what we're actually studying. At the same time, there are takeaways for, for modern day. I mean, people are people. And uh, if they were struggling with something in yesteryear, there are applications for us today that we can always be informed by or inspired by. by or <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah. I tend to think that when you're studying history, you know, the times may change, the technology may change, but people never change. Um, you know, we're, we're still mm-hmm. at, at our core very much the same, whatever the year. We all have hopes, dreams. We all, we all have um, things that we're searching for, meaning, answers, purpose. Um, so anytime I, I approach writing historical fiction and research, I'm, I'm looking for the things that are different setting wise, but I'm looking for the common uh, threads and common things that, that are central and, and um, general to all humans. Right. Great. Well, Tosca and Marcus, this has been a fantastic conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? You can find me at toscalee.com. And you can find my social media there, my social media links. And uh, you can also find my giant German shepherd timber on most of my social media as well. So if you just go to toscally.com, everything is there, including social media buttons. Yeah. And I'm at marcusbrotherton.com. Okay. And I will link to your social media and your websites in the show notes too. Thank you so much for being with us today. Our pleasure. Thank you, Allison. Well, friends, wasn't that a fantastic conversation? I'm sure you could kind of notice where we had to cut off and start the new recording, but um, I had a little bit of a laugh in my voice because of whatever we were discussing before I asked Marcus the question. So, um, but you know, you're going to have stuff like that. It happens sometimes. So friends, this is my last episode of this season. I'm going to take a break for the summer, as I explained a few weeks ago in that solo episode. Um, It's just what works best for me now, I've realized, is to have a spring season and a fall season. So this is the last episode for a while. Um, I'm going to have a full summer break, like three months, and I'll come back in September with new episodes and new interviews. Um, I'm already planning the fall season, so I know some of the some of the authors that I'm going to have on the show, I'm not going to share them with you because, you know, things always change. But um, it's it's going to be great. It's going to be fun. And there will be a good mix. Kind of this time, I felt like um, there were a lot of similar type authors. There is going to be much more diversity in the fall with just the different types of Um, historical fiction and the different types of authors. We have a few more men on the show in the fall, so that'll be fun. That's the plan anyway. So um, I want to remind you about the show notes because I will link to Marcus's and Tosca's 
new book, The Long March Home, and also to their website and um, social media. So you can get all of that from the show notes, which you can find either in your podcatcher or on my website at alisontreat.com slash blog. That is where all of the podcast episodes live with their show notes. So you can always get to them there. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash B-L-O-G. So make sure you visit that. And also, if you want to help out the show at all, like if you're enjoying this podcast and you have not subscribed, rated, reviewed the podcast please do so because that is, I thank you so much to those of you who have. I know a few weeks ago I asked you to do that and we did have a new review. I was so excited. So thank you for that. And if you haven't done it yet though, go leave a review. It only takes a few minutes and that's, you know, it it helps the show. It helps other historical fiction lovers find the show. And um, another thing you can do to help not just help the show, but just to like stay in touch and hear behind the scenes stuff is um, join the Facebook group at his it's historical fiction unpacked podcast group, just search for it in Facebook, or you can get there from the show notes as well. And then you can follow us on Instagram at historical fiction unpacked. And um, if you so desire, you can support us on Patreon, you can find the Patreon account at patreon.com slash Allison treat Allison has one L A L I S O N. T-R-E-A-T. So um, that's also, there's a link there in the show notes as well. (laughs) You can get everything from the show notes. Um, I also, just because I probably won't be posting in the Facebook group over the summer, um, at least not much, and not on the Instagram account either. So the best way to stay in touch with me is to join my newsletter list. And I have that linked in the show notes as well, but you can also get there from my website, alisontreat.com. You can sign up for my newsletter. It only comes out usually once a month, but if when you first sign up for it, you will get um, three emails that week just sharing different freebies with you. So make sure you do that, and then you can hear from me all summer and you won't lose track, um, and you will know what I'm up to. So I would love to keep in touch with you even when I'm not releasing new episodes. But use this time, use the summer to catch up on old episodes if you haven't listened to them all, because there is a great backlist going on here. So my friends, let me leave you with the words of General Douglas MacArthur, who said, no man is entitled to the blessings of freedom unless he be vigilant in its preservation. So keep reading historical fiction, my friends, and I will talk to you this fall. 